hi to all of you. I'm Anthony Scaramucci. Welcome to our podcast, which we're calling The Motivation Inside TMI. I hope this will be one fun, productive listening ride for all of you. For those of you who don't know me, I am the founder of Skybridge Capital, a global investment firm. But the reason we're doing TMI is not to tell you about our success, but rather to share with you the many faces of success and wealth, because it ain't pretty. I also want to let you know how we got here, because the truth is, while we all have greatness inside of us, how we go about achieving it, there's some ugly road in there, but I think it's certainly important to share that with you as well. I want you all to tap into the greatness just like we have, but we're going to share with you some of our pitfalls, some of the gritty mistakes. We want to start you on your journey to creating your wealth and realizing your dreams, but we also want to share with you how we got to where we are, uh, because let's face it, I'm not the typical Wall Street guy. I'm really not that fancy. I live about two miles from my parents out on Long Island, uh, and I will tell you that the success and failure in life, those two words are actually on a first name basis with each other, meaning that you've got to get through your failures to ultimately achieve your success. It's the person that can get knocked down, uh, pick themselves up, dust themselves off, get back into the game is the one that's ultimately going to be a success. You can even look at a Mayor Bloomberg as an example of that. Fired from Solomon Brothers, he goes on to create one of the best, most unique financial data companies in the world. But for that firing and that failure, uh, where would he be today? Uh, and so listen, every life has a personal failure story. I like to always share mine surrounded about baseball. Because when, when you look at it, and I'm here with Bobby Valentine, who I'm going to introduce in a second, but the greatest thing about baseball is that it's a team sport, and life is a team sport, where you have to share and pass and work together. But at the same time that baseball is a team sport and there's nine people in the field, there's one person at bat. So it's a lot like life. You have an individual commitment. You have the individual achievement. But then at the same time, when you switch to the other side, start playing defense, Guess what? You have to rely on others to help you get to your goal. And so this combination of things makes baseball, to me, so completely fascinating. Now, let me tell you about my experience with baseball, uh, you know, and, and this is probably true for most people. If you go three for ten, you end up in the Hall of Fame. Two for ten, you could probably still be a utility player on a baseball team if you're a halfway decent fielder. Uh, I, I always go back to age 15 at the Port Washington Athletic League. My girlfriend has just broken up with me. <gasps> She's in the stands. I'm up at the plate. I'm 14 years old. Pimples all over my forehead. I was very self-conscious about the acne back then. I'm at the batter's box. She's booing me. From up on the first baseline with a group of her friends. And I'm thinking, this is a miserable experience. I got a kid a year older than me throwing heat. Strike! That night, closing my eyes, I hit the ball into right center field, and the good news is no one could field at that age. Went right into the gap, ran the bases for a home run. Uh, but I got to tell you, I thought I was going to strike out that night. I had all that fear. I had all that trepidation. And so I often tell people, uh, when you're at the plate, when you're about to make a presentation, 
when you're about to go on a job interview, you have that feeling, you have that clamminess, you have that anxiety in your stomach, but you got to think about hitting home runs. And it's a really good segue to introduce Bobby Valentine, who's one of my closest friends. Since we're talking about success and failure and the ability to power through fears, there's no better guest than a former L.A. Dodger, Angel, Mariner, and New York Met. He's a former MLB manager. He's one of the greatest, I might add. The Mets are going to be upset with me for saying this, but he took a, a team in the year 2000 with a AAA outfield. Boy, those guys are really going to be mad at me for saying that, but the truth is it was a triple-A outfield. His words. We got to the World Series, won the National League pennant, and but for a, a few snafus, we were close in there with the New York Yankees in the year 2000. Uh, Bobby is presently the athletic director at Sacred Heart University, and so, Bobby, welcome to TMI. Thanks, you, Mooch. You, great you, being you, with you. You're someone that's had great <laughs> success, but also great failure. Yeah. Uh, you were one of the best athletes, if not the greatest athlete. Now, we're going to see... Caitlyn Jenner at the SALT conference in a few weeks. Yes. You, would it, tell me first what you said that you want to say to Caitlyn when you see her. <laughs> well, I want to say hello for sure, and then just make sure I can remind her that most of my life, as well as most of her life prior to being Caitlyn, uh, we were mentioned in the same breath. People around the bars in, in Connecticut, the people in the high schools, the people who wanted to take the vote of the best athletes ever out of Connecticut, we were always ranked in the one, two, or three, and often he was ahead of me when she, she was, was he. he. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so, so, so but let's go back to high school for a second. You're all all state running back. Wow. One of the fastest guys in Connecticut. Yeah, only three time all state running back in the history of the state of Connecticut. Big state, you know, Connecticut. Yeah, but let me tell you, it's still a very, very successful <laughs> achievement. But you got drafted to play baseball and you went hmm. where to college? I went to the University of Southern California. That was that whole routine. As a senior, you have to commit, and so I signed my letter of intent. Interestingly, now I'm seeing them come across my desk as an athletic, as an athletic director. director at Sacred Heart University. But uh, I signed my letter. I'm going to go to USC. I'm going to replace O.J. Simpson in the backfield of the Trojans in 1969. And instead of playing football and being an amateur, I signed a professional contract in 1968 and went to Ogden, Utah, to coincidentally play for our friend Tommy Lasorda, sure. sort of in rookie ball, if you could imagine. Okay, so Tommy yeah. Lasorda, uh, 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 World Series winning, uh, Los Angeles Dodger manager. Hall of Fame manager, Hall of fame, only Hall guy fame to ever manager. win a gold medal and a world championship in the history of the world. There you go. So, and yeah. Tommy's an awesome guy, world-class human being. Yeah. So you meet Lasorda for the first time. You give up the idea of going to USC, you're going to play professional baseball. Tell us why. Well, actually, because um, Al Campanis was the general manager at the time. He came out to sign me, and he said, listen, you have an opportunity to go and play in the Pac-8 and play against all those very, very good college players, or you could sign with the Dodgers and play against the best players in the world. And he knew about my ego at the time, and I said, I want the world, not so just So they sign you for what uh, player I was position? The, I was the number one draft choice of the Dodgers in 68. I was right behind Thurman Munson, who was taken by the Yankees as the fourth choice. I was the fifth choice. 
and I got over two years, two tax years, $65,000. So 31 year of, and which, 35 which another. Which was a ton of money back then. Which was almost three times what my dad paid for his home and was sweating out his and, mortgage and, every day. And what would your yeah. tuition have been at USC? It was $1,800 so, for tuition. So you see that? See that? <laughs> so you signed for the $65,000. You're in the game of life. You detour away from the college move, and now you're down into the workspace. You're cool. up in Ogden. And you're playing, yes. And uh, and so this is the successful period, yeah, of your baseball career. And yeah. then something happened. So yeah, then I went through that minor league thing, and I don't mean to uh, stay too long with you, but uh, you know I was pretty good. I was the MVP every time I played. You know, won the batting title, won the batting titles, and did all that stuff. What as did a you hot bat? Three forty. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank yeah, I remember you. that. 340. I remember. Yeah, you batted 340. In my, sorry, AAA, I was a 20-year-old in AAA, okay? Yep. There weren't 20-year-olds in AAA. So they bring you up. The Dodgers bring you so, up. What year do they bring you up? Well, what happens is they bring me up after I win the batting title, and the last day of that season, I get beamed. And so I'm in the hospital for a couple weeks. They have to find out if I could play or not. I go to Arizona State to show that I could play in this winter league, and then I decide to play fraternity football and go to spring training the year that the position was being given to me in a full leg cast. Okay, but you're not you're not you're <laughs> not doing it too much justice there. So yeah. you're you're beamed with a 90 plus mile an hour fastball. Yeah. Fractures your cheekbone. Yeah, pushes it down uh, three gives and you, and a half inches. Gives, yeah. gives you a severe concussion. Yeah. How long were you in the hospital for? Over two weeks. Two weeks. They have yeah. to reconstruct your face. Right. They went down with a crowbar through my skull and hooked this bone and pulled it up and then put it all in place, took the chips out by cutting me along that little crack there underneath my eye. Great plastic surgeon who happened to be at the game who went to the hospital in the ambulance with me and performed the operation. You got super lucky there. Right? <laughs> is that luck? Uh, is that luck? That's awesome. He was a Dodger fan. He was at the game. He was a Japanese guy. In those days, you couldn't fly direct, so you went from L.A. and stopped in Hawaii and then to Japan. He was at a conference in L.A. He was a Dodger fan. He stopped in the layover, and he stayed to watch our games before going back to Japan. And he performed the surgery, yeah. and thank God he did yeah. an amazing yeah, job. Yeah, otherwise I'd have a big hook here. Okay, but now, yeah. you're, but now you're back in the game, so you have to talk to yeah. our listeners and our viewers about how you pulled it all together. Knocked on the ground like that, two weeks in the hospital. You got to prove to all these people you're a young man. Yeah. How old were you, Bobby? I was 20, yeah. Right, so you're 20, <laughs> everything was going 21. fantastic, and then yeah. you get hit in the head. And so now, yeah. what, how do you pull yourself together? Well, first, I proved to myself that I'm, I can't hit again. And that was that first big challenge. So my buddy first threw batting practice to me, and I knew he wouldn't throw it at my face. So I was confident and. and comfortable and then I finally got the enemy to throw it to me. I went into a game a few times, realized I could track it, could still hit it, they saw it, and gave me my first big league contract, which was which was for seven thousand five hundred dollars. Wow. A year. Wow. Yeah. All right, so what position? I was going to be the shortstop for the Dodgers in 1971. Now I yeah. cut I cut you off, which I apologize yeah. for you were talking about a leg cast. So yeah. what happened in that situation? You were up in the outfield. That one was even worse. Okay. That was stupid. I was No, that my leg cast at this time was because I was playing flag football. I needed to play football on my fraternity 
football team for some reason. You tell me. It's the uh, Italian gabagos to me. Gabagos for <laughs> gabagos for the Italians means you got cement in your head. Okay, so now you're playing flag yeah. football. You break your leg. No, I uh, ACL. I wrecked ACL. my knee. Yeah. Okay. And that whole year, I have to play with a leg with a cast. I mean, with a brace. You might remember. Dr. Nichols here sure. in New York. Operated on Joe Namath. Exactly, and created that knee brace. That leg brace, yeah, to help you with the just at this time, first stabilized ACL. ACL yeah. All right, so this is, uh, yeah. let's take it right back to the topic <laughs> of success and failure. Yeah. How do you so come you, back? You, you come you come in through the chute, super successful. Yeah. You hit Boom. these two patches, now you're in a descending slope. Yeah. How do you pull yourself back together? Well, there's a lot of um, belief in yourself. There's no doubt about that. and you know, there had to be some success along the way. So as I was playing other positions and not getting playing shortstop, I had to be successful. And with that successful, I built my confidence. My confidence grew to one where I said, I'm back where I need to be. Okay, so now you're in the major leagues. Yeah. And you're doing well. Doing okay, yeah. Okay, and tell our viewers and our listeners what happened in the major leagues, uh, which is another setback. <laughs> Well, the first setback, or, or first thing they did was I asked to be traded so that I could play shortstop. Okay. And uh, I got traded. And I played shortstop. And you were traded to? The California, California Angels Angel. from the L.A. Dodgers. Right. Exactly. Now called the L.A. Angels. Yeah. Even they though they're in the California same location. Angels then, yeah. I love the euphemisms in life. So, <laughs> so now you're with the Angels. Okay. And what happens? Yeah. So while playing and leading the league and hitting after uh, a month or so of the season, I go from shortstop to playing center field for a couple days. And the second day I'm out there, I run into a wall trying to catch a home run. I break my leg and I never really came back from that. You know, I okay. tried to play another six years, but never had the skill again because it healed at a bend. Okay, so your leg has been healed at a bend. You're actually, yeah. your one leg is a little bit shorter than the other yeah. leg. And yeah. so you, you're coming into life, uh, your early part of your adulthood, thinking that you're going to be a major league baseball player, and you're excelling at every yeah. aspect really of baseball. Really think I'm going to be a star, yeah. You're going to be a star. You've yeah. won the batting title. Yeah. And so we're now talking again about success and failure and setbacks, but look at this amazing career that you've had. So how did you pull yourself together, redesign your life after visualizing one direction in your life and finding yourself on another? Because what do we know about life? You have your plans, I have my plan, God is laughing. Something else is happening to you while you're planning. So go ahead. Yeah. So luckily I didn't have to take a sharp turn. Uh, I came back from my broken leg with the same mind, but not the same leg. I thought I could still play and play at a high level. So I continued to try to prove that I could. I went back to the minor leagues to play every day. I went to winter ball where Tommy Lacerda was the manager to have him see me play. I wanted to get back to where I once was physically, and I never was able to do, do that. So from 74 through 79, I tried to fool other people and then stopped trying to fool myself. And in 79 said, at 29 years old, I'm not very good at playing. But you know what? I found out when I wasn't playing that I was pretty good at being the coach to some of my fellow teammates. And they kept so, saying, you're a better coach so Bob, than he is. Bob, share with us the emotion, though. You're 29. Okay, is this, yeah. is this devastating? Yeah, to be through playing, uh, 
was it does you know what happened? I played in '79. I said I don't want to play, but I was hoping someone would offer me a contract, just so I could go and play one more year. And no one ever offered me a contract, so it was a mutual consent to so, stop playing. So, what was your parents' role in all this? Were you yeah. on the phone with mom and dad, talking to them about it? Yeah. By the end, I was 29, and I was talking to them. But early on, I was always talking to them. When I first got beamed, that was the first phone call. When I first hurt my knee, that was my first phone call. Um, and they were always very supportive. But the key is that they you know, said, often, just because God delays doesn't mean God denies. They said, be patient, keep working hard, you're going to make it happen. And um, but you, I didn't know what it was. It's well, exactly. So that's, that's, that's yeah. the amazing thing about life. You're planning yeah. on one thing. I'm in law school thinking I'm going to go on and become a lawyer, and I'm here running an asset management yeah. firm. And so now you're in Major League Baseball. You're 29 years old. It's 1979. You now have to make an adaptive pivot into yes. what? Into the real world, you know. And like, so you I, start a restaurant. Yeah, I went to a charity event. A guy had bought the buildings next door. It was a computer company. The ladies Is that didn't want Joe to come Romano. To, Joe or? Romano. Yeah, sure. Very good. Yeah. He says, if you're not doing anything, put your name on the window here. We'll sell some hamburgers. You'll be at your hometown. And figure out what you're going to do now that you're in the new world. And that place is still open today. Thirty-six years 36 later. Thirty-six years later. Yeah, yeah. And fantastic. Not not that this is a, a uh, advertisement <laughs> of Bobby V Sports Grill up in Stanford. But, I gotta but tell you, it is. The nachos are fantastic. <laughs> okay, so let's keep yeah. going. You yeah, got yeah, the yeah. restaurant open. Wow, yeah. And now got you got to pull yourself together. So how are we doing that? How are we pulling ourselves together? I'm working my butt off. I'm actually with my dad sweating every day so that by the time I got home, I was so tired, I didn't have time to think about all the other guys doing in spring what? training. What were you sweating? I was building the restaurant. Okay. I was tearing we were tearing down the interior everything from the kitchen the floors the walls we were replacing them i replaced the uh, the bar and made the bar with barn wood from mm -hmm. my property mm -hmm. so i had to take the wood out of the barn and that, bring it to the restaurant sandblast it still there it's all lacquered with all those bars baseball, still there. all those That's baseball the cards are lacquered into that bar yeah my baseball cards that was dumb but what are you going to do? I have a Lou Alcindor card in the, you know, it's about $1,700. So, but, um, you know, sometimes you learn from your mistakes and sometimes you don't. When I, I put all these valuable cards in, in 80 and 81 and 82, when I opened my first three restaurants, then card collecting became, you know, uh, uh, more, popular. more popular. And so when I opened my places in Texas, I wasn't going to do the same, take my old cards and put them in the... Uh, tabletops, I decided to buy new cards. And so we went out and bought a lot of new cards. And in Texas, right now, there are six Michael Jordan rookie cards that were brand new in 1987. That are okay. lacquered into that some That are lacquered in are worth a couple thousand dollars a piece, <laughs> yeah. So, so you, you're starting restaurants, yeah. you got yourself in the restaurant business, you're still touching baseball, yeah. and how do you curve into coaching and ultimately yeah. becoming a manager? Well, Anthony, in your series and with people you talk to, and as you admit often, uh, you have to be lucky. And I know that I've been lucky. And uh, when things happen, I just follow the path. I was in Ohio, Youngstown, Ohio, a guy named Eddie DeBartolo Jr. was sure. being honored. 
nice Italian guy, Tommy o owner, Lasorda. O owner of the San Francisco 49ers. Right. His dad was a, had many malls around the country. Anyway, um, Tommy Lasorda was going to be there. He says, why don't you come out to the dinner? I said, Tommy, I'm really busy. I'm building this restaurant, and I'm trying to know, come on out to the dinner. I want to see you. So I fly out to Youngstown. I sit at a head table for this uh, this award that Eddie D's going to get, and I'm sitting next to a guy who's telling me that he just married the most beautiful girl in the world. I'm not listening to everything he's saying because I'm in my world, but this young guy was really excited about being married. Well, after the dinner, he took my name and took my number because I told him what I wanted to do, stay in baseball, coach a little. Well, the guy happened to have just married Ray Kroc's daughter. His name was Ballard Smith, and he was becoming the president of the San Diego Padres the next week because Ray Kroc, who owned the Padres, and Ray, was making, Ray Kroc <laughs> bought the two McDonald's restaurants in Southern California from the brothers yep. and turned it into the global franchise that it is today. And he was he was a blender salesman. Sure, he okay. was selling milkshake mix. <laughs> walks into the McDonald's selling milkshake mix, sees the operation, tastes the hamburgers, and tells the two McDonald's brothers, I gotta own this place for me. He negotiates a contract with them, and he decides that the interstate highway system, the rise of the American culture in the 50s and 60s, he is going to replicate this franchise, not only in the United States, but around the world. And, he, and, he, and he's so successful that he gets to own a sports franchise. And he started, when he, Started them. How old was he? Tell me. Sure. Fifty-two years old. So he's fifty-two years old. There's hope for me <laughs> when I when I figure out what I'm going to do with my life eventually. Okay, there's hope for me still. Yeah. Okay, so, so now. So you're, anyway, you're, I get a phone so, call so a couple phone days call. later, yep. and and you know that good luck thing. Yeah. I answered it. It was Ballard Smith. I luckily remembered his name, which because it was a weird name, and he said, I want to offer you a job with the San Diego Padres. Can you come on weekdays and teach our minor leaguers? You could go back and do your restaurant on weekends when it's going to be busy. I said, what a great idea. Sold, and I became a coach, a roving instructor, and from there it was another lucky thing in that uh, Tommy Lasorda got the job as a manager in the major leagues, the Mets thought that I would be his coach eventually and mm -hmm. tried to preempt him hiring me and gave me a job as a third base coach as a 32-year-old. Can both of us agree yeah. that there's some level of providence in our successes? There's yes. no question about that. Yes. And every smart entrepreneur knows that some of their success is providential. However, you do have to make some of your luck, right? It's the intersection of yeah, preparation. The plane, it's the know? residue of yeah. design. So you are working hard, but I want to get to something as it relates to luck. You know you're lucky. I know I'm lucky. When do you know that you're lucky and you have to press the buttons when God or Providence or whatever you want to describe it is opening the door for you? When do you feel it, Bob? Yeah, you know, it was Branch Rickey who said that luck was the residue of design. And I don't think you could totally design it but I think that you could um, recognize it when you see it. And that's the name of the game. So you seized it. And so now you're, yeah. you're, you're working for Joe Torre. Uh, now, no, this is Who's before. The manager? I, I played for Joe Torre, yeah. And now I'm working for George 
Bamberger. Oh, sure, I remember. Yeah, that. remember yeah, the name George Bamberger, who I one day staying. incredibly much yeah. came into the middle of our locker room in L.A. We really stunk. Okay, unbeknownst to the coaches, I was one of them. Nor the players, nor the front office. He came out after batting practice. It is, in his casual clothes. It says, "Boys, I'm going fishing." Yeah, that's how he yeah, quit. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Who replaced him? He was replaced by Frank Howard. Yeah. The big first base sure. coach. Much Wash Washington Senators. Yes. Big home run hitter. Six foot nine, hit him as mm -hmm. far as anybody in the world. But there was another coach on the, on the team named Jim Fry, mm -hmm. who was really the brains behind mm -hmm. the, 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 the curtain. And he was very upset he didn't get the job. And so there was this going on. And then the next year, Davy Johnson came in. Yeah, that's 1984. And that was 1984. Four or five. He yeah, did four, four, five. I was his third base coach for those years. I went to Texas in May of 85. And at the age of 35, you become a major league baseball man. Yeah. And that's it for today with Bobby Valentine. Next week, we're going to be back on with Bobby talking about adversity, success, a lot of the things that you have to do to persevere uh, to find your dream and find the motivation inside. Uh, you can follow me at Scaramucci on Twitter. If you want to email us, it's podcast at skybridgeinsights.com. Thank you and have a prosperous week.